If you missed last week's Bible study where I gave an overview of the book, I would encourage you, especially if after this evening you are confused as to what you think is going on, I would encourage you to go back and watch that on our YouTube page there. Uh, I'll give you a quick rundown, a very, very quick rundown, and if that doesn't quite satisfy uh, all your questions, and then uh, I would encourage you to go back and do that. Once you found Song of Solomon chapter 1, if you would stand, and we're going to read from verse 1 down through verse number 8. The Bible says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine, because of the savor of thy good ointments. Thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kadar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My, children, my mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth. Where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. The title of the Bible study this evening, and will probably be the title for a couple of weeks we work through chapter 1, is this, purity in the face of perverseness. Purity in the face of perverseness. This is a strange passage if you don't know who is speaking when, but in a moment I'm going to break down and tell you who I think is speaking and what I think is being conveyed, and I think the passage will become more understandable. Let's pray this evening. Lord, help us as we begin a very exciting book, one that many Christians uh, stay away from and uh, have not been able to get a grasp of what it means. Thank you, Lord, that all Scripture can be applied to our lives and help us as we seek to do that uh, here this evening. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the book of Song of Solomon is a script to uh, to an opera. And an opera is not... I know you think of opera, you think of someone who stands up on a stage and sings in a language you don't understand with a lot of bravado. Bravado is when your voice shakes. How many don't enjoy that kind of singing, okay? I'm not the biggest fan. If it's done in a way, I can be okay with it, but it can often just be high-pitched and shrills. But an opera, by definition, does not have to have a lot of bravado or be in a language that you don't understand. An opera is just any sort of uh, play that's put to music. And so this is, in essence, an opera in the Bible. And who said the Bible didn't have class? The Bible has a lot of class. Um, Solomon wrote this, and what this is is a script, a script to an opera. The problem with it is for us is that who is speaking and when has been left out. And the 
Uh, there are three acts in the book, and there are scenes within those acts, and those aren't marked in Scripture either, and so that's left us trying to figure out who is speaking and when and what the different scenes are. And so uh, we may get to heaven one day and find out Pastor Lejeune had it totally wrong. And if that's how it is, then that's okay. We'll get to heaven and find that out. Whether or not um, I have it figured out right, I do know this. The principles we're going to pull out of the book of Song of Solomon and share as a church, we're going to look at as a church, the principles that we're going to pull out are definitely backed up with other scripture passages throughout the Bible, and great applications can be made, even if the interpretation isn't quite perfect. But I think you'll see as we go through the book, I think that you'll see as we begin to um, uh, put brackets around who's speaking when and mark all those things, I think that you'll begin to uh, realize that if this isn't quite right, it's really, really close. So um, there are five main characters or cast members, if you will, in this script, and if you would like to, we gave them out last week, if you'd like to write them down somewhere there on the back of your um, prayer bulletin, and so you know who they are, and for sake of uh, easily remembering it, I have alliterated it, you have the hero in the book, the hero, and that's the fiancé or the shepherd, we'll look at him a little bit tonight, you have the heroine, and that is the farm girl, or the Shulamite girl, the farm girl, You have the heathen, the heathen, that's Solomon, all right? Solomon wrote a book that doesn't make him look so good, Um, but he is the heathen, and then I said five, there are four, and then you have the harem. The harem are all of the wives and concubines that belong to Solomon at this point, and so the harem are the 140 wives and concubines of Solomon. That number would later grow to 1,000. So the idea here is that uh, some of Solomon's men have gone out upon Solomon's demand and picked up this farm girl and forced her into Solomon's home where Solomon is going to come in and try to woo her and persuade her into being uh, his 141st wife concubine. And uh, so the problem with this is, is that this young lady does not think like the rest of the girls in Solomon's harem. On top of that, she is betrothed to be married or engaged to be married. If you know much about Hebrew customs with marriage, there was a contract that was signed, and legally you were just as married in the betrothal or engagement stage as you were after that one-year period, and it was up to a year. And so you had all of the legal obligations of marriage, except there was just the physical separation. There was not the sexual coming together during that time. And the uh, young lady would live at home with her parents and prepare herself for married life. And then the husband or uh, betrothed husband would work to prepare a place. And then once he had a place ready to go and he was ready for married life, he would go to his home ceremonially. He would get his family and he would travel to her home, and he would shake dad's hands and pay a dowry, and then walk away with the young lady, and then they would enjoy every aspect, including the physical aspects of marriage. And so this young lady is in the betrothal part of marriage. She is legally obligated in marriage 
to this shepherd, and we'll see throughout the book, she is madly in love with this shepherd. And so let's jump in here. Verse number one uh, is the introduction of the play. You have the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And in my notes, I have written up there that this is the introduction to the script. Okay, Act 1 begins in verse number 2, and Act 1 runs all the way uh, through the end of, uh, rather, Act 1 begins in chapter 1, verse 2, and runs all the way through the end of chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 17. And um, the, the uh, act begins, uh, the scene is set in Solomon's palace, where the farm girl has been kidnapped and taken so that Solomon can attempt to make her bride number 141. So here she is in Solomon's palace. Solomon has not yet arrived. And when we get to verse number 2, we have, and so if you're marking in your Bibles, I encourage everyone to try to bring a Bible with wide margins so they can make notes. If you're not able to make notes in your Bible, then uh, write this down. But from verse 2 through verse 4, the harem is speaking of Solomon. So the harem is speaking from verse 2 through verse number 4. And I'll go ahead and give you, for the rest of the evening here, who's speaking when right now. From verse 5 down through verse number 7, the farm girl is speaking to the harem. So uh, verse 2, 3, and 4, it is the harem speaking of Solomon. And then from verse 5 through verse 7, it is the farm girl speaking to the harem. And then verse 8 is the harem speaking to the farm girl. So the farm girl is speaking from 5 to 7, and the harem is speaking in verse number 8. Anybody need me to repeat that? Everybody good? Okay. And so that will help us as we begin to lay this out here. All right. Let me give you a, a, a point number one of the message this evening. Notice the harem's perverseness. The harem's perverseness. We're going to see that a lot of their perverseness is still quite alive and well in the world today. Now, uh, I want to make note that men get a bad rap for being perverse, uh, but I have been around the block long enough to know that there are a lot of women who are just as perverse as the guys. And uh, they are just as off track when it comes to these things as the men are, and these 140 women, boy, they had a very, uh, a very lusty view of Solomon. In fact, let's read from 2 through 4, and keep in mind, this is the harem, or the 140 wives slash concubines, speaking about Solomon. Look at it there. They're speaking, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Now let me draw uh, three thoughts out of the harem's perverseness for you here. Notice letter A. Their love was sensual. Their love was sensual. Look at verse number 2 again. And let me point out the sensuality uh, or the lustiness here that the harem felt towards Solomon. All right, Look at the very, very first phrase of verse number 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. These women wanted him to kiss them. They were focused in on his physical 
features, his lips, and I want to be with my man, and he is mine while they're in a polygamous relationship. Keep reading there, for thy love is better than wine uh, because of uh, the savor of thy good ointments. Thy name is as ointment poured forth, therefore do the virgins love thee. Now look at this next uh, part here. He, uh, the, the harem says to Solomon, draw me, we will run after thee. You see the flirtation going back and forth here? Draw me and we will run after thee. Now, um, I went to a Christian college and they had very careful, old school, chivalrous etiquette when it came to boys and girls. The girls did not ask out the boys. All right, the boys asked out the girls. And I've heard of some Christian colleges that have something called Sadie Hawkins Day where the girls ask out the boys. How many are old enough to know what that Sadie Hawkins thing is, okay? Uh, We didn't even do that at our college, right? Even that was out of bounds. The girls never asked out the guys. It was considered inappropriate. How many of you are old enough to remember back in America where it was inappropriate for a girl to ask out a guy? And now it's not that way anymore. Girls are after the guys, and they are pursuing them and chasing them. And I have to say that um, I do believe it is God's plan for the man to pursue the woman, not to have the woman out pursuing the man. Now, there are some marriages in the room here where, you know, the guy was super, super shy. You know, that was me. No, it wasn't. Uh, the guy was super, super shy, and, uh, you know, he, the, the girl is sending, you know, subtle hints, you know, ask me out, and, and I want to date you, and, and maybe even sending friends to, hey, you know, such and such, if you asked her out, I think she'd probably say yes, and the guy just can't seem to muster up the courage to ask the young lady out, and so then the girl might go and and ask out uh, the guy, and and there's a funny story in that, but that ought to be the exception to the rule and not the rule. God uh, has created it and set it up where he made the man first and then the woman, and the man is to pursue the woman, and then he is to provide for the woman, he is to protect the woman, uh, and so uh, that is God's plan. But we see here that uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the young ladies or the women say, draw me, draw me, Solomon, and we will run after thee. We will pursue thee. Their love was sensual. It was, it was lustful in nature, in a, in a carnal uh, uh, way. Uh, it goes on to say, The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. Remember thy love more than wine. Notice letter B. Their love was sentimental. And you can also put below sentimental the word shallow. The, their love was shallow. Now I want to be very careful to add here uh, to this that within the confines of marriage, um, there there is a passion, uh, a lustful sexual passion within a marriage, and there's nothing wrong with that. And you say, well, these women were married to Solomon. Well, please understand something here. God's intent has always been one man and one woman for life. Even in the Old Testament where uh, some people who deeply loved God were involved in polygamous marriages, God maybe tolerated it, but God never endorsed it. He never once endorsed it. He was never for it. In fact, uh, David ended up marrying multiple women, and you, you see that it wasn't good enough for him, was it? At the time he fooled around with Bathsheba, he was already married to four different women. And that wasn't enough for him. And um, uh, we need to be 
We need to be content with the spouse that God has given us. And, and, and listen, I'll also add here, it's very important to understand uh, that our love be first uh, based, well, be always based on purity, but before we get to the physical aspects of marriage, we're first focused on loving the person for who they are. Uh, we're, uh, there's a friendship that's established. There's caring for one another. There's a sincerity in that. And these girls knew nothing about Solomon for his character. These girls knew nothing about Solomon for who he was as a man or a God-fearing man. All they were concerned about were fleshly, carnal things. And so notice that their love was emotional or sentimental or shallow. Go back to verse number 2. Look here. Let him kiss me uh, with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is... Uh, better than wine. Notice that part there. Thy love is better than wine. Now, I've never had unfermented wine. I've had grape juice, and I guess that's wine, right? Uh, uh, technically, it's unfermented wine, but I've never had fermented wine. I've talked to plenty of people that have, right? I've had many conversations with people about that, and there is a feeling you get, a looseness to yourself that you get, so I understand. Is that correct? When you've had a couple of glasses of wine, there's a sentiment there. And they're saying, Solomon, when we're with you, we have a feeling inside of looseness. We feel loose when we're with you, Solomon. In fact, look down at the end of verse number uh, four there. It says, um, the king, or rather, we will rejoice and be glad in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine, more than than wine. You see that this is an emotional love. This is a shallow love. This is a love that's built on emotions, on a feeling. In fact, go back with me, uh, if you would, and look back at verse number two. It says there again, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Look here, because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured they said, Solomon, not only do you make us feel good, Solomon, you smell good. You smell good. Now, I like it when my wife puts on some nice perfume. I love the way she smells. I love the way she smells even when she's not wearing perfume. Amen? As long as she's taking a shower, I'm good to go. Amen? Um, uh, but, um, uh, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the, the, the sweet smell of a perfume or an ointment. And uh, she likes it when I wear cologne. And Definitely when I remember to put on my deodorant. Amen? That's important. I have to make sure I do that or I get pushed away. Uh, but um, that, that is important that we're, uh, we have those things. But notice that their emphasis is not on Solomon is a godly man. Solomon is a man of character. Their emphasis is on, boy, when I'm around Solomon, I'm loose like I'm on wine. When I'm around Solomon, I'm drunk on the odor of his cologne, of his, of, his, of his ointments. And it's all about emotion. And I just want to say right here that our love toward God and our love toward our fellow man, our love toward especially a future spouse or a spouse ought to not just be built on feeling. It ought to be built on something much deeper and much further and uh, much more important. What is that? We ought to love them for who they are. Uh, there are two different ways the word love is used when it talk, you talk about a romantic type love. There's someone who says, I'm in love with him or her, or I love him or her. I love 
him or I love her. Love there is a verb. I'm in love. Uh, that, in that uh, case, uh, love would be the object of the preposition or would be a noun. And many, many youth, especially teenagers and even young adults, or I've even seen folks in their 40s and 50s that are looking at dating and, and, and all that, they fall in love. And there's that feeling, that noun. Listen, love is not more as much a noun as it is a verb. A verb. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice. There are times in my marriage where I don't feel in love because either I'm not being a very good person or my wife might be having a rough day or a rough week. And in those times and in those moments, I must choose to love even if the feeling is absent. And here these young ladies are saying, boy, we love Solomon. We love him because when we're around him, boy, we... We just feel like we're loose on wine and we feel we love the way that he smells. Their love was sensual. Their love was shallow or uh, sentimental. Notice letter C, their love was sexual. Sexual. Look back at chapter 1 and verse number 2. It says there, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love is better than wine because of the savor of thy good ointment. Thy name is as ointment poured forth. Look here. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Now, um, history tells us that kings, and probably, in fact, most likely Solomon did this. You had the harem, which was a house of uh, wives and concubines. But then there was a whole other house where virgin girls were, uh, were, were living and being kept and being prepared so that they could join the harem. And so these... Girls in the harem are pointing back at the home where the girls are being prepared. You remember the story of Queen Esther? Queen Esther was gathered up and brought in and she was prepared by the eunuch so that she could marry Artaxerxes. And uh, these girls were bathed in perfumes for a long, long, long time. And one at a time they were brought before the king and, and, and he, uh, he fell in love with Esther and chose her. That house of virgins being prepared. And uh, these girls are pointing back at the house of girls who are virgins, who are going to end up being the perverted Solomon's next trophy and saying, the virgins are fawning over thee. You see that their love here was sexual. There was an elbowing each other out of the way to get to the top so they could have their man. Look back here. Therefore, do the virgins love thee? Draw me we will run after thee. You think, oh, well, that's just innocent flirtation. Oh, no, it's not. Keep reading. The king hath brought me into his chambers. Now, hold on a minute. You have no right to be talking about that right there. That's wrong. Solomon hasn't even said a word yet in the chapter. But we see the, the attitude of these girls toward Solomon. We live in a culture today where purity to the wedding altar is rare. And I'll add this too. Purity doesn't end at the wedding altar. Purity is to continue through the wedding altar. The rules change when you get married. Uh, there is a forbearance that is to be held. And the Bible, as unpopular it is at the culture at large, the Bible teaches abstinence until your wedding day. That's what the Bible teaches. And um, uh, it's very important 
that we understand that. Take your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6 and, and chapter 6 and verse number uh, 15. Now, um, um, when I was a boy growing up, it was pretty normal for a Christian couple to wait until their wedding day to be with each other. And if a, if a couple didn't wait until their wedding day, boy, they were very private about that. They kept that hush-hush. They didn't want to let that out. You know, you back up, and I was a child in the 80s, all right? Uh, you back up 20 years prior to that, the 60s, especially the 1950s, especially the 1950s. It wasn't just church Christians that were careful. Everyone was careful. Everyone was careful. You didn't fool around before you got married, and uh, you weren't physical before you got married. But, boy, we have slid a long ways as a culture. Many, many churches that I have attended and I've been a part of, we've had couples in the church who sit in the church and they're living together unmarried. And that's just accepted as being okay. Now, we're not going to throw stones at folks. And listen, we get people coming to this church from all different backgrounds and the culture at large teaches that it's okay and people come in and either they're babes in Christ or they don't know. They don't need you looking down some pharisaical nose at them and judging them. But what we do need is a culture in our country where Christians commit to abstinence until the wedding day. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look at verse number 15. Here Paul says to the church of Corinth, who had a major problem with this, he says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Once you, uh, uh, once you have relations with another person that isn't your spouse, uh, you have become one flesh in that moment with that person, uh, you have taken your body, soul, and spirit, and their body, soul, and spirit, and you have become one. And Paul says here, that is way out of bounds. Look at 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He says you want to be joined with someone in body, soul, and spirit. Walk with the Lord. Verse 18. Flee or run the opposite direction of fornication, every sin that is done without the body, um, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So this sin seems to be carried up a notch of uh, you don't just transgress out of the body, you transgress against the body. And why is that? Look at verse 19. Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The marital act is a lining up of body, soul, and spirit with another human being. It is a tight interweaving of emotions. And God says when you do that with someone who is not your spouse, you are violating not only your body, you're violating the very spirit which the Holy Spirit is supposed to control. And uh, notice the perverseness back here of the harem. Let's go back to Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1. And I could spend all night in 1 Corinthians 6, but 
for the flow of the message. Let's get back here. Notice the last, let's see here. Notice the last um, four words of verse number six. Look at verse number six, the last four words. And notice just how perverse the harem has become. They say about Solomon, the upright love thee. What? The upright love thee? These girls are anything but upright. These girls have every idea of what love is turned upside down. You see, they're emphasizing sexuality up front and then worrying about morals and principles and character on the back end, whereas a good marriage is built on two people who care about morals and principles and character on the front end and worry about sexuality on the back end. And these girls say, the upright love thee. And to that I would say, oh no, they don't. Any girl who has her head on straight would have looked at Solomon at this time in his life and would have said, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. And I don't want to have anything to do with you girls. You girls have right called wrong and wrong called right. We see the harem's perverseness. Number two, notice the farm girl's problem. The farm girl's problem. Again, this act, uh, act one takes place in Solomon's palace. This girl has been picked up by Solomon's men. My guess is that this young farm girl was out working in her vineyard. We'll see in a minute what her job was, what her duty was. Uh, she was a farmer, and she's out working the fields. And Solomon, maybe coming back from some conquest of his, saw her out there and went back in the palace and probably told his men, hey, go get that girl up on that hill and bring her here. And I don't need you to put her in the house with the virgins. I'm just going to make her my next wife. She looks different than all the rest. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. And they go and kidnap this girl and bring her into the palace. And she is upright and she wants nothing to do with Solomon. Look at verse number 5 and notice the farm girl speaking to the harem down through verse number 7. She says, I am black. But comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Cater, as the curtains of Solomon, look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My children, my mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, uh, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companion? We see here the farm girl's problem. Notice letter A, her look or appearance. Her look or appearance. She seems to complain that she looks different than everyone else. Look back at verse number 5. She says, I am black but comely. That means I'm black but pretty. O ye daughters of Jerusalem. As And she compares her the color of her skin, uh, to a couple of items here, as the tents of Keter and as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me because I am black. Now, was she black like from Africa black? I don't think so. And based on this next phrase, look here. Because the sun hath looked upon me. And so what this is, is this girl um, was forced to work in a vineyard growing up. And so she was suntanned. She was suntanned. She was probably a Jewish girl that had worked outside a lot, and so she, her skin was quite a bit darker uh, than the, the girls that were a part of the harem. Now, I want you to understand that 
the American definition of what's pretty, at least to most Caucasian males, the, uh, the definition of what uh, most in America would think is pretty would have been labeled ugly in just about any other time of history. Let me explain. You see, back in uh, ancient times, pretty was defined by you, you are wealthy. And so how were you wealthy? You never had to go outside because you had maids and servants that worked outside. So you sat inside all day. And because you didn't have to work much, you got chunky. You got chubby. You had a little ba- bit of weight on you. And so you were pale and you were chubby, and that was considered pretty. Now, I have to make a confession tonight. Brother Joe and I were laughing about this in my office earlier today. I went on the Internet today, and I pulled up Google Images, and I was Googling pictures of girls. Now, before you throw me out, I'm going to show you what I was looking for a very specific girl, okay? I'm going to show you uh, a picture of, let me see here. This is the Princess of Kehar. Princess of Kehar. Go ahead. Okay, this is the Princess of Kehar. You see her? This is the only girl I looked up, okay? I promise, Angela. You can check my history. All right. Uh, now, there's a little bit too much leg showing, and uh, her dress is a little low on the front. So we're going to go to the next picture. All right, now leave that up here. Yep, that's the princess of Kehar. Ben, behave yourself. Amen? Now, while you might be shocked at her appearance, you'll really be blown away at what I'm about to tell you. In her day, she was considered the most beautiful woman on the earth. There's hope. Listen now. This woman rejected 13 men, and those 13 men, as a result of that rejection of romance and marriage, went out and committed suicide. I'm just trying to give you some context to what this girl is saying in Song of Solomon. Now, I don't know that Solomon's brides all looked like her. I don't know that. But I know they didn't look like this Shulamite farm girl. This farm girl, she said, the color of my skin is quite a bit darker than yours because I have to go outside in the field and work all day. She said, my appearance is not like your appearance. She didn't feel that she was very pretty, at least compared to the girls that were in the room. Let her be noticed, her lack of acceptance. This girl really was a Cinderella type. Or maybe the Disney writers got the idea of Cinderella from uh, this girl. Look back at verse number uh, 6 here. Rather, back up to verse number 5. She says, I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Keter, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. Look there. My mother's children, so her siblings were angry with her. She was the reject of the family. It goes on to say, they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. We'll get to that, that last phrase here in just a moment. Notice it says, she was made the keeper of their vineyards. Now, it would seem that this girl came from a family 
where they had vineyards and uh, they harvested grapes or some sort of vine-type fruit, figs or whatever it may have been. It would appear that way. And So she was part of the family business and she was sent out in the fields to work. And so here she is engaged. She's supposed to be getting herself ready to be married, but instead of being uh, in a place of getting herself ready to be married, she's out in the fields and she's working her brothers and sisters' fields for them. And she's busy doing that because her own family has not accepted her. While her fiancé has, as we'll see in a moment, her family has not accepted her. Now, I just want to add here, and this is more of a point of application than interpretation, a lot of girls... And guys do this too, but I see a lot of girls who feel as though they don't have the acceptance of their family at home. They run out and they seek for acceptance from another man, and they're willing to sell their body for that acceptance. Now, I don't know if that applies to anyone in the room tonight. Somebody online at home may be watching, and let me just say that you need to take this girl in this story and you need to make her one of your heroes in, in, in the faith. Because she was not accepted within her family. And it would have been very easy for her to stick it to everyone in her life and say, now I'm living in Solomon's palace while you're living the life of a peasant. But that's not what she did. Even though she didn't have all of the acceptance that she wanted in her life, even though there was no doubt some brokenness that's being declared here in her, her life and from her family life, while she was a girl that had problems, she was a girl who stood on her morals and said, my morals and my values are not for sale. Her lack of acceptance. Notice letter C, her love's absence. Her love's absence. Go back uh, with me there to uh, verse number uh, 6. It says, Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. And then I believe metaphorically she's speaking here. She says, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. What does she mean by that? I believe what she's saying is I was so busy taking care of my brothers and sisters' vineyards that my own self I've not kept or prepared or had ready for my own husband. I, you know, when a young lady's getting ready for a wedding day, she's very busy. There's a lot that goes on there. There's a lot of preparation and planning and, and thought and time that goes in uh, to a wedding. And instead of her getting ready to be married, no, she was out doing work. And as a result, uh, Solomon's men ended up picking her up and she ended up getting kidnapped. And so you see some regret and some remorse uh, voiced here uh, because she was not preparing or taking care of herself, her own vineyard. Look at verse number 7. She's speaking here out, looking for her fiancé. She says, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth. And here we get a description of her fiancé. Where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. The description here is of a shepherd. He is leading the flock to eat. He's taking them out for feeding time. He's laying them down beside the cool water to rest. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flock of thy companions? And what does that mean? That means why should I be like one of those lost little lambs from your flock where you have to leave the 99 and go hunt down the one? She's saying just like that little lamb gets lost, I'm your lamb and I'm lost. Why do I have to be like that? 
Why do I have to be away from you right now? And you can see the hurt in her heart. You can see the, 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 the sorrow and maybe even a little bit of trauma of having been taken away. So we see here the farm girl speaking to the harem. We see her expression of her problems. All right, notice number three, the harem's push. The harem's push. And in verse 8, we find the harem talking to the farm girl. Look at verse number 8. The harem says to the farm girl, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. And so I have in my Bible marked, O thou fairest among women, and I have written out to the side, sarcasm. Sarcasm. They're saying to her, O thou fairest among women, you little beauty queen. You think you're just some little beauty queen. And they're telling her, well, look, if you don't want to be with Solomon, you you don't want to be with our husband, and and you have some love interest outside of the palace, then then get out of here and go find them. As we'll see as the chapter unfolds, this harem, there was a lot of inner jealousy, right? Ladies, can you imagine having to share a husband with 139 other, other women? Can you, and then later, uh, 999 other women? Can you imagine the jealousy that would be felt, the neglect? Uh, I know that a lot of women, if they don't, their husband doesn't you know, reply back to a text within an hour or two or doesn't return a call or how many men have made that mistake, amen, uh, made that mistake and not getting back right away. And, and, and the wife can begin to feel a little insecure, like why aren't you replying to me or are you too busy, you don't care for me? Imagine having to compete not with just his time but with all of these other women. There was a lot of jealousy here. And so this jealousy is bubbling up, and they're saying to this girl, well, then if you don't want him, get out of here. There's enough of us to compete. Look back at verse 8. If thou know not, you don't know where he is, O you little beauty queen, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth. Get out of here. Leave. Uh, By the footsteps of the flock. He's a shepherd. Go Go find the track. Go find the tracks of these sheep and follow them to him and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. So we see here that they're trying to get rid of her. And that brings us to the end of Act 1, Scene 1. Next week we'll pick up Act 1, Scene 2. And that goes from Chapter 1, Verse 9 down through the end of Chapter 2. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and do this. I'll have you mark who's speaking when. That way you can begin to get a, a little bit ahead and uh, you can study, uh, begin to draw your own thoughts out. Okay? So, uh, from Chapter 1, Verse 9 down through Verse number 11. 9, 10, and 11, this is Solomon's first seduction of the farm girl. And so Solomon comes swooping into the scene, um, to this opera, and he's going to try to seduce this farm girl into marrying him. That's 9, 10, and 11, okay? Verses 12, 13, and 14, the farm girl speaks to Solomon about her beloved, the shepherd boy. So the farm girl is speaking in verses 12, 13, and 14 to Solomon about her, her, her fiancé, the shepherd boy. And then uh, verse number 15, 16, and 17, Solomon continues his seduction of the farm girl. So 15, 16, and 17, Solomon it goes back speaking to the farm girl. Okay, then chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, is the farm girl speaking the entire chapter, and she's expressing her commitment and love of her fiancé, to Solomon. So she's telling Solomon 
about this fiance of hers and why she can't and won't be with him. So chapter 2 is all the farm girls speaking to Solomon about the shepherd boy. And that, uh, that would bring us to the end of Act 1. So you can begin to read and get ahead and draw some thoughts. And I will do the same. And we will pick this up next Wednesday evening.